can be seated. Good morning, everyone. Hope everyone is having a wonderful morning so far. Uh, would you turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4, page 859, in the Bibles in the seat backs. You can also use your phone or Google on any kind of mobile device, 1 Peter 4. It'll take you where we're going. And as we're going there, I want to remind you, because I know you haven't heard it enough, but there's an election coming up, and there's one or two uh, candidates out there. Uh, I'd encourage you, don't vote, uh, but vote prayerfully. Don't just go out and vote. Vote prayerfully. Know what the candidates stand for. You can see that on a Democrat or Republican page, or we've got a flyer in the lobby that kind of shows you where people stand on different issues. Remember to do that. And then secondly, I want to ask a favor. Can everyone just raise your right hand? Raise your right hand and repeat after me. I will stay awake during service. I don't care what the weather is. It's sunny and bright on the inside of me. There you go. Okay, now you're ready to go. I need you to stay with me this morning. Uh, we're continuing our series on uh, the book of 1 Peter entitled Live Differently. And we're going to really look at what it means to live differently. And the only way we do that is by seeing the bigger picture. Have you ever seen one of those pictures where there's a picture, but there's actually a picture within the picture that everyone else seems to see but you? Where they're like, oh, look, two candlesticks. No, actually, it's two older ladies with babushkas and a scarf on. You have no idea what it is. You don't see it. And everyone else tries to get you to see it. Let me give you an example. Can we put it up on the screen? Do you see anything in that picture besides blue designs? There's actually, other people on staff told me, that the Spring Lake, the three swish, like the splash marks, are in this picture embedded in the design. Anybody see it? All right, I've got one, two, three. Neither do I. Okay? I never get these. I see what I see. Now, usually what people do is they see it and you don't. So they do something like this. Stare right here. And you're like, I'm staring. No, stare harder right here. I don't see it. Well, squint and turn your head to the right and cock it at an angle. Yeah, it's not helping. Well, just stare right here. And they don't get why you don't get it. And then when you do get it, it's like a different part of your brain kicks in. You get that brain freeze headache almost because it's like, oh, there it is. And then once you see it, you can't unsee it. So what do we do once we see it? Then we tell other people, no, just stare right here. And we try to do the same thing that never worked for us. Now, like I said, to be honest, I'm terrible at these things. And it's easy to miss the bigger picture. And if we do happen to see the bigger picture, how do we help others see it? Uh, according to Peter, the same thing is true in life. Persecution and God working on behalf of the persecuted is a theme throughout the Bible. But pretty, Peter pretty much takes the cake in showing the effects of suffering on life. And the only reason this makes sense is when we look at suffering in the bigger picture. I want to show you how much Peter digs in on this. Can we put the uh, next slide up? So these are the books of the Bible. The, the abbreviations are underneath. The one tall one that looks like the Willis Tower in the middle of all the rest at the end, that's the book of 1 Peter. So when it comes to talk about suffering and living life in a hard season or what it's like to be pushed on or persecuted because of a faith in Christ, Peter takes the cake. Peter makes it clearer than anyone. Peter is trying to help a group of people who have had to flee Rome for their lives because Nero 
wants them dead. He's blamed them for everything that can go wrong. And now he wants them dead. They can be betrayed. They can be sold and bought. And for the sake of their families, they head out of town. So Peter has been talking about this. Now today, we're going to open with 1 Peter 4, 1 through 11. We're going to read the whole passage and see uh, what a, looking at suffering as a Christ follower can look like in the bigger picture. Then we're going to break it down piece by piece. 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. It says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans do, uh, pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Now I want to take this passage and break it down really into two subsections. Here's the first one. The first one is, and it's the first blank on your outline, we need to arm ourselves with a different attitude. We need to arm ourselves with a different attitude. We see this in the very first per, uh, verse. Peter says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is dead with sin. Armed with an attitude. Armed with an attitude. Can you say that with me? Ready? On three, one, two, three. Armed with an attitude. What would you think if I told you or I pointed someone out to you and I said, that person there, they are armed with an attitude. They have an attitude. We may take it as a negative connotation, but many times those people who are armed with an attitude have a focus, a seriousness about them. They are there to do business. They're not playing around. This isn't a joke. They're armed with an attitude. They have their game face on all the time, and they are ready to throw down in a minute. They got to focus. Peter says we need to be armed differently. We need to view it when suffering comes, or persecution, or the pull to get off track. When that comes in our face, we need to be armed with an attitude. The word armed in the Greek, it means to be ready, to be equipped. 
The word attitude in the Greek, which is what 1 Peter was written in, it means it's our thinking, our intentions, our understanding. So we're armed, we're ready, we're equipped. Where? In our thinking, in our intentions, in our attitude. I am equipped, I am armed, I am ready to take this on. Not going to be comfortable, we'll see that in a minute. But I am ready to take it on. When we are armed with this attitude of even being ready to suffer, what does Peter say happens? Look at the last part of this sentence. He says, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because whoever suffers in the body is dead with sin. Dead with sin. Other translations say he has ceased from sin. Is dead to sin. I love this last one. Sin loses its power. Is done with sin. There comes in our point in our lives when we look at what we want and what God wants. When we look at what he calls for and even orders and the marching orders we're going to choose to follow. And we have to choose, do we live to our rebellion and embrace it? Or do we become dead to it? Is the answer me? Or is the answer God? Is the answer what I want? Or is the answer what he wants? Honestly, either he's God in this situation, or I'm going to be. Peter says when we're willing to even suffer for following Jesus, when we're willing to put up with anything that someone may throw in our face, we can become dead to sin. When we get to that place, we can be in the place where what's been pulling at us, what's kept us tied up, what keeps trying to draw us off track in our walk with Christ. For some of you in the room, that pull that he's been pulling you in and something else has been pulling you out, when we're willing to cut that tie, we'll see that moment, we can become dead to sin. And it's not just what we chase anymore. It becomes part of the bigger picture. We've seen the bigger picture. Every temptation resisted makes the next easier to resist. Every temptation conquered makes us more equipped to overcome the next temptation because we're armed with the attitude that we're not going back. We're armed with the attitude that we are in this fight. It doesn't make the temptation go away permanently. It will still stick its forked tongue in your ear every chance it gets. But Peter says we can become dead to it. The more you say no to something, many times the easier it gets to say no. Sometimes we look at this and we don't get it. We're saying, why me, God? Why do I have to go through this? Why does this have to be my temptation? Why do I have to struggle? Anybody ever ask God why? Anybody today ever ask God why? Why do I have to go through this? Why the challenge? Suffering, when you look through Scripture, and as we saw in that chart that Peter keeps hammering home, suffering is the way of making disciples. I won't speak for anyone else, but I can tell you this. I tend to press into God more when I don't know what's going on and when I'm in the struggle than when everything's going fine. When everything's going fine, I do the check-in prayer. Lord, thanks. Great day. Beautiful day. Good morning, God. It's going to be a great one. I'll see if I, have, if I need anything. When the problems hit or when I don't know what's going on or I'm failing the test in front of me, whether it's in school and literally or figuratively for what's going on in life, that's when I'm like, God, help. I am not letting go until you answer. Lord, why? Speak to me. I'm listening. 
Now you're listening. We tend to wander off when things get easy. Have you ever been around kids? Two, three, five, 12, 13. When, when they're with their parents, little kids, and you're in a store and you're like, Jimmy, Sally, come here. And Jimmy and Sally are like, no, I'm independent. I'm grown now. I'm four. And they're like wandering around the store. They're looking for the food they want. And, and they don't need mom and dad because everything's safe and everything's fine. Let there be a power outage in the store. And what's the first thing that child will do? Reach for the legs of mom and dad. Pick me up. Hold me tight. I don't want to get lost in the candy aisle. When the struggle hits, when the suffering comes, that's when disciples are made. That's when our roots get deep. We either push through or we give in. We bless God through the challenge or we curse God because of it. We deepen our roots or we stay shallow and we watch the whole thing collapse. We get stronger by pushing through. Discipleship doesn't happen because you have a degree. Discipleship does not happen because of more meetings. Discipleship usually is forged in us. It's birthed in us through struggle. How in the world do I make it through? You read the list of what Peter talks about in, in this early church and what's going on in the Roman culture, which was basically Mardi Gras every day. And how do I make it through? Peter says, you better change your influence. Verse 3, he says, for you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust." drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join in their wicked and their reckless, in, join them in their reckless wild living, and they heap abuse on you. There will be a disappointment to your buddies and some of your partners when all of a sudden you make a stand and you say, I've seen the bigger picture. I'm supposed to, I'm called to live differently. I can't live like everyone else. I can't look like everyone else. And they're not going to get it. Why? Because they haven't seen the bigger picture. Proverbs 29 and 18, it says, where there is no vision, people perish. Another translation says, where there is no vision, people cast off restraint. They don't care. And why would they if they don't see the bigger picture? Why would they care about the future, about eternity, if I don't see the bigger picture? Why wouldn't they live for the moment? Their goal is to stay in the fun. It'll keep you in it too. And when you go to get out, as Peter says, there's going to may have to be some cutting of relationships. And they may choose to cut you loose. More than likely, if they can't drag you back in, you have to get pulled out of it. Have you ever been in an environment or been somewhere where you saw crabs in a barrel moving here from Florida that you'd see the... The big crab barrels. Anyone ever seen crabs in a barrel, like for sale, go to a store or whatever? Okay, we're in Wisconsin now, aren't we? Um, you ever seen cheese in a barrel? I'm kidding. It's not the same. So what happens is crabs, if you put them in a barrel, they constantly pull each other down. It's what they do. They'll, they'll claw each other and pull each other to the bottom almost to stay on top. And all of a sudden, if you watch, you'll see one crab be like, I'm making a run for it. And the crab will begin to climb, usually up a cage, to get out. Do you know what every other crab in that crab barrel does? It grabs it and pulls it back down. Peter is making it clear, and I want to say to you today, some of you have some crab barrel friends. 
that the minute you start to climb out, the minute you start to get this different attitude, they are going to try and pull you back down. Peter says you've got to change who you're hanging around with. 1 Peter 3, we talked about this, I think it was two weeks ago. 1 Peter 3.13, it says, Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Keep a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against you, your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Your change of attitude, your life opens the door for your words. You can't speak about something you're not living. Your life opens the door to your words. As the church, we have to be ready to be supportive for people. A family who pulls together with and around those who may be outcast, especially for the cause of Christ. The church is not meant to be a loosely bound association of functional Lone Rangers. Paul confronts that type of thinking when he writes, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The church is meant to be a refuge for those suffering. When a member is hurting, the church applies the bandages. When a member is down, the church encourages. When a member is in need, the church comes alongside to help. 2 Corinthians 1.4 says, God comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. If we were to go around the room right now, one by one, and talk about what God had brought us through, my guess is there would be some tears in the eyes. Some jaws would drop. As someone else in the room would say, I thought I was the only one going through that. You're sitting beside someone right now in your row or the next row over and they got it together and they got their church clothes on and their, their hair is done and, and everything smells and looks good and they look churchy. But if you knew their history and what God had brought them through, your jaw would drop. Someone in this room has gone through it and you don't go through it alone. After service, when we have prayer partners afterwards, it's not because they have it all together. It's not because all their stuff is in order. And a prayer and a word from the Lord descends into their hand like a fortune cookie that they can hand you and go, there you go, it's all fixed. Peter says it doesn't work that way. We suffer. We go through things. We do this and we link arms and we go through it together. That's why the relationships in our, in our life groups are so important. In our small groups, this is where we do life together. When you've passed through your own fiery trials and found God to be true to what he says, you have real help to offer. You have firsthand experience of both his sustaining grace and his purposeful design. He has kept you through pain. He has reshaped you more into his image. What you are experiencing from God, you can give away in increasing measure to others. You are learning both the tenderness and clarity necessary to help sanctify another person's deep distress. If, you, if you've been through it, don't be afraid to say, I've been there. 
I've done that. I've got the scars. Maybe it's still in your struggle, but I'm not quitting because I've got a different attitude. I've got a different attitude. Looking at the bigger picture of these challenges and these things to say no to and the people you may have to push away. It may mean loss of friends or position. It's a total cultural shift. Thanks to the government, Nero at that time, it would cost you even your life. And some of you are in the room now, and you're going, that's a little severe. You know, no one's going to die for my little secret pet rebellion that I hold on to. No one else knows about it. It's just me and it. No, that's not true. It affects far more than that. I kind of like my vices. It's my teddy bear at night. It's what I hold on to. None of us are perfect. Don't let anyone tell you they are. But we've got a choice to make. That we either hold on for the joy or for the, the pleasure of the moment, or we see the bigger picture that Peter is spelling out here, and all of the Bible spells out. Every one of us, Peter says, will have to give an account for our lives. Verse 5, it says, But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to the human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. Verse 7, the end of all things is near. Therefore be alert and in, of sober mind so that you can pray. The end of all things is near. We look at 100 years and we're pretty amazed. You ever met someone who's lived 100 years? And we're like, oh, 100 years. I can't even imagine what you've seen and how everything has changed. Are those your real teeth? You know, we're just amazed when things stay together for 100 years. But in the bigger picture of life, 100 years isn't really that much. From Abraham, Adam to Abraham was 1,900 years. From Noah to Jesus was 2,000 years. From David to Jesus was around 1,100 years. Moses to Jesus, 1,500 years. So when we look at 2,000 years from Jesus to us, it's really not that long in the scope of how God does things. Realize, as Peter said, the end of all things is near. Be aware, be alert. Watch how we live our lives. And with that in mind, it comes to the second point. The second point on your outline is the temporary nature of life should compel passionate obedience. Should compel us to passionate obedience. Look at verse 8. It says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should speak as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Let's look at those, that list just a little bit. First thing, love each other deeply. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. Love each other Deeply, the word deeply there in Greek, it means uh, outstretching in a sense of consistent, uh, in, in a con sense of being consistent. Our love must be a love that never fails. It's the picture of someone stretching toward a finish line or a horse as it gallops, stretches itself completely 
outside of a comfort zone to get a, a better stride. C.E. Cranfield is a, a commentator. He said, Christian love is not an easy, sentimental reaction. It demands everything a person has of mental and spiritual energy. The second meaning of that word is it's a, a love that loves the unloving, the unlovely, or the unlovable. Someone who's outside of your comfort box. Someone who's outside of someone you would usually invite to your table at the lunchroom. Someone who you may not talk to on a sidewalk. Peter says, expand beyond that. The second thing on that list is hospitality without grumbling. Our life groups don't even happen without this gift. Thank you to every one of you who open your home up and allow these studies and these life-on-life times to happen. Thank you to every one of you who bring cookies and cake and lemon bars and make coffee. Thank you for the gift of hospitality. Thank you to every person who greets at these doors because you don't know how your hospitality makes a difference to someone who may have walked into church even today not sure about the whole religious thing. They're interested but scared. Seeing a friendly, welcoming face makes a difference. Getting a cup of coffee makes a difference. We've had a couple of Packer players come downtown during service. Do you know how amazing it is to watch a 6'4", 280-pound guy hide behind a six-ounce cup of coffee and feel comfortable because they have it? Thank you for your hospitality. He goes on to say, use your gifts, your talents, your skills to serve. Why? Peter says, because it's a stewardship. We talked about this in our, in our previous series, The Generous Life. Our time, our talent, our treasure, our teaching, it's all got to be available to God. Thank you to those of you who do it faithfully. And as you came out of that series, if that kind of stirred something, don't ignore it. Because as Peter says, it's how the church body is built up. And you may be 12 or you may be 92. If you can serve, serve. If you've got the time, take advantage of the time. If you've got the gift, put it into practice. If you can give, it's between you and God. The preacher's not looking. But don't hold back. Peter says it's the way that we can serve as good stewards. The building you're sitting in right now, we're about to purchase this building, which is really exciting. The church voted for it um, overwhelmingly in our last congregational meeting. And someone stepped up and said, I'm all in. And God hasn't left me alone since that... Um, that uh, Generous Life series, they want to give 10% toward the purchase of this building. How many of you know that goes a long way toward a $1.2 million purchase? And yet if that person steps up alone, it can't happen. It's each one of us. And yours may be pennies, nickels, dimes, quarters, ones, tens, fifties, hundreds. After that, it's like all monopoly money to me. But every one of us has a part to play in it. Every one of us has a part to play and making others feel welcome. Every one of us has a part to play in living differently in Green Bay, Wisconsin. The next thing he says is speak the very words of God. We take that seriously, whoever's speaking up here, whether it's me, Bill, Ryan, or if Adam comes over. But this goes for you too. Speak the very words of God. Watch what you say. Watch what you put online. Watch what you text. But I need to let people know how I feel. No, you don't. 
You don't find one person and let them know how you feel. And it's got to be that person who can go, no, that's stupid. It's got to be that person. They got to be able to be honest with you. Me, I married that person. Have that person who can be honest with you. But when you speak, you speak the words of God. Watch what you say and how you say it. And the next thing he says is serve in the strength God provides. Serve in your sweet spot. Why? So that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and power forever and ever. We don't serve so we're seen. We serve so he's seen. The Christian in light of eternity must preserve their sanity, preserve their sobriety, preserve their prayers, and preserve their love. The aim of everything is that God should be glorified. Preaching is not done to display the preacher, but to bring people face to face with God. Service is not done to bring prestige to the giver or to the, those who serve, but it's to point people's thoughts to God. Grace and glory. Should en- will enter the church as we step up in these areas. If all church people ceased doing things for themselves and did them for God, all glory and sight would be put on him. Let's make it about him. And I want to wrap up with one story, and this one hits home. So my dad's my hero, bar none. Dad, I've, I've shared some about him before. He grew up in a horrible background, home, and um, went from the Bronx to Brooklyn, New York, and early on, was in gang, gang fights, a couple, uh, couple of jail sentences, was a heroin addict for a while, um, quite a while. Uh, everything that you could picture that you'd say, yeah, God can't use that guy. He was that guy. And yet in his mid-20s, Christ got a hold of his heart. And he saw the bigger picture. He saw what life was truly about, and this wasn't it. He devoted the rest of his life into ministry. Thousands, and I mean this, thousands of thousands of people came to a relationship with Christ through dad showing his testimony and speaking from the scriptures, from the word of God. Here's a guy who didn't go to high school, like a day, because they didn't want him there, and they still gave him a diploma. Dad was a hero for me. I'm about to lose my hero. Tomorrow, tomorrow morning, I'll go home. My sister and my brother are already there. See, back when Dad was using, he got hepatitis C from a dirty needle. Before I was even born, we don't realize the things that we start and get ourselves in on. It has long-term effects. So now he has cirrhosis of the liver, non-alcoholic cirrhosis of the liver, and it's pushing the blood back into his system, unpurified, unfiltered. Different parts parts of his body are shutting down. Talked to my brother last night. They're not doing anything else preventative for him. They're just keeping him comfortable. But my dad's ready. He's ready to hear a well done, good and faithful servant. He's ready to see the fruit of lives that he touched that he had no idea that he touched. My wife had a little online business, and a couple of years ago, she gets a message. I saw your last name. Is it by any chance tied to Vince Guerra? The email came from Texas. 
I saw Vince speak at a conference in the 70s. And this was in the 2010-ish time frame. No idea of the fruit that your life can, can produce, that his life produced. But he's ready because he saw the bigger picture. Last verse, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Let the temporary nature of this life compel you to passionate obedience in the bigger picture of God. Would you bow your heads with me, please? If you're here today and something has had you wrapped up, maybe it's one of these things that Peter lists out that the early church was fighting with. That's no different than today. It's plain and simple. It's a, a desire of what we want versus a desire of what God wants. And you, see, I, you say, I need prayer to cut those things. That, as Peter said, that I can be dead to sin, dead to rebellion. Less of Jack, far more of God. Less of you, far more of him. If that's where you are today, we're going to pray in just a moment for you. Maybe you're here and you've never had that relationship with Christ. God has been convenient. God has been when you need him. The grocery store lights are on and you're wandering away. But when those dark times hit, you go running back to him. He wants a relationship. He doesn't want to be a crutch. He doesn't want to be a vice. Today, maybe you want that relationship with him. Jesus said, come unto me, all you who are weary. You're worn out, and I will give you rest. For God so loved the world, John 3, 16 says, that he sent his one and only son, that's Jesus, that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. If that's where you are and you're like, I want that relationship. Would you just raise your hand up? We'd love to pray with you right where you're seated. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. People around you may never know. I may forget your face or your name. But the Bible says heaven rejoices at the choice you're making right now. It throws a party in the spiritual world, in the heavenlies. Because what Jesus did paid the price for you to have that relationship with him. That price on the cross. That death for our life. If you're here this morning and maybe you've got that secret vice or that thing that you say, I just kind of play games with it. I let it go. I bring it back. It's really not hurting anyone else. But it's time to die to it. It's time to let it go. Cut it loose. If that's where you are, would you just raise your hand? It's maybe embarrassing. maybe tough for you because the people around. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. For those who say, I want that relationship with Jesus, I'm just going to say a prayer. It's just talking to God, and I'm going to use it as a template, if you would, to just talk to him yourself. Put it in your own words. Just address him. Lord, thank you for loving me. And even in the mess of my own making, even in the mess that I create, you don't abandon me. You offer me forgiveness. Lord, today I say I'm sorry 
for what I've done. I'm sorry for I've turned my back on you or ignored you. But I thank you for Jesus and the cross. God, I thank you that my sins are forgiven. I thank you that my rebellion is not held against me. And I am washed clean. Today I live as a Christ follower. Today I begin the journey as a Christian. I thank you, Lord, that even though I'm not perfect, I have a God who is. Thank you that you, a perfect God, would love an imperfect man. In Jesus' name I pray. Now, Lord, I pray for every other person in the room, every person in the room who's got something that we struggle with. And I throw myself in this mix and saying, Lord, I want to look more like you and less like me. God, I want to hold on to you, even in the times when my sight may look around at other things or when my heart may want to chase after something else or when my frustration and anger may want to take over. God, may we remember what we prayed last week. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. May we never forget that and may we never try and make it about us. May it always be yours. In Christ's name we pray.